All right, welcome back to Lord Clark and Friends, episode number 21. We're uh, legal, I guess. Woo! We made it to 21. Uh, all right, we got uh, myself, Lord Clark, back here uh, with our friend, Lord Cran. Hello? Oh, you're there. All right, um, well, let's just get right into it. Uh, what topic should we start off with today? Anything you got on your mind, or should I uh, just read one of the headlines? Go for the headlines. All right. Man sentenced in sword murder. Gets 15 to 30 years for killing a Pelham man. So this is out of New Hampshire. Uh, and who says chivalry isn't dead? The reason he pulled the sword on the other guy was to fight over a girl. Yeah. Well, I guess, you know, he really must have really liked this girl. Uh, and that's a, a good way to show that you nothing says love and like slice and dice. <laughs> you didn't. You didn't. Mr. Hanks had choices. You didn't have to plunge a sword into my brother. <laughs> I guess that's the sister of the uh, the guy who got killed. Um, I just thought that quote was interesting. Yeah. So. Uh, I guess this 50-year-old guy is getting 15 to 30 years in New Hampshire for uh, killing killing a man with a sword, which is something rare today. That's old school. That's really kicking it old school. Yeah, kicking it old school hardcore, I guess. <laughs> and he did it with a samurai sword, so got to respect him there. At least he knew what his, what his weapons were. Uh, let's see. Then the next headline, hundreds of French workers take bosses hostage. Isn't that a sign of the times, you know? I mean, I mean, one thing is you don't expect anything like that to come from the French. True. I mean, they usually are known for being surrender monkeys, but they sometimes they like to stand up for their rights. Well, here's the thing. I mean, they got some of the easiest jobs in the world. Their labor laws are, are so relaxed that they put in like between a 30 and a, a 35 hour work week and they, they just, you know, live it pretty cushy. The work ethic isn't there. Oh yeah, and and they believe in their nine weeks of vacation or something like that also. It, you know, for the, the right employer, I will too. Uh, and also, the the next thing they get is the employer cannot hire you unless he can afford to pay for three years of unemployment insurance for you if you uh, are laid off from the job or let go from the job. Well, that's a pretty sweet deal. Yeah, so, I mean, if you get hired at a job, you've got at least three years. Of, they're trying to repeal those laws in France, I guess, but, you know, that's how how pretty sweet it is over there. If you get a job, you're guaranteed at least three years of pay, no matter what happens with the girl. Well, the interesting thing about that is it, it's both pro-worker and it's almost like pro-fiscal um, uh, responsibility, too. Right. I, I kind of agree, but I think it's a little bit overkill to pay somebody three years to sit on their butt for doing nothing for you just because, you know... And not getting out any work. I mean, but we do that all the time, don't we? Oh uh, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I just think it's a little bit overkill in social welfare. But I, hey, it looks like our country's going that route as fast and furious as we can possibly get there. 
Well, you know, it's interesting to see that people are angry. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it's actually a good thing because, you know, uh, the idea that people will invoke natural rights when the law of the land or the laws of the, the local land uh, seem to fail. Yeah, that's true. Now, honestly, we wouldn't want them to necessarily hurt you know, anybody, if they can avoid it, but they did prove a point, and uh, they they used it as a negotiation tactic, as it appears. Um, I think it would get interesting if, if it uh, followed suit here in the States. I think it might start following suit here in the States with these unions, um, you know, if you, if we get too far against these unions, you know? Well, even for those who aren't protected by unions, Oh, yeah. Um, and I think that's the real big risk because people who aren't in unions, big, you know, big uh, sectors of the of different markets right now that aren't unionized potentially might want some sort of protection. Right. Well, I mean, it, it's kind of funny because uh, uh, I was talking to somebody who was saying, and I don't remember where I heard this from, but Massachusetts laws are better than any union <laughs> that you can find. They give you all the union protections that you would get from a union anyways without having to have a union. So, you know, somebody I think I was talking to about unions who was saying, you know, look, Massachusetts law covers you so well that you don't need a union anymore. That's a pretty good observation. Thank you, whoever would say that. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I kind of agree with him. But the the anger, you know, people just are really getting pissed off. Um, and I think, you know, part of the problem is that we're bombarded with messages every which way we turn that right. things are bad. I mean, as a, you know, I mean, maybe my memory is a little short, okay, but people now are as miserable and as concerned and worried about things are just as much, if not more, than the months following September 11th. Oh, I think they're much more concerned than the months following September 11th. I think after September 11th, it was kind of outrage and let's go kick some butt. Now it's like we're feeling betrayed by our own government. Uh, I think we're much, much more concerned now, and people are much, much more talking about reality than I've ever heard, even after September 11th. Like after September 11th, a lot of people were looking to, to go do some damage um, and really weren't dealing in reality, uh, whereas now I see a lot of people uh, that are much more like, let's blame somebody and let's let's start uh, raising some havoc. Let's start blaming the right people because we haven't been blaming anybody. And I think people are much more concerned now than they were on September 11th. But, see, the thing is, this is a, a really interesting topic, because back in September 11, and shortly thereafter, um, they, the, the messages that were put out by the Taliban were, hey, we want you to fail financially. Right. And it looks like that we've done that in some ways, at least. It, it's almost like some of their goals have been achieved. Um over over this amount of time, but the difference is people are, are cranky now uh, 
not only because of the messages that we're seeing in the news, but we've been pursuing wars <laughs> for a long time and keeping troops all over the place in the Middle East and not really seeing any clear objectives met in a timely manner. Right, but I, I also kind of agreed with the previous administration saying that the objectives are going to take a long time to meet. And let's face it, we're still in Germany after World War Two. Sure, I mean, we're also in Korea, Japan, and a, a whole host of other places, but that that's a, a bigger problem than, you know, the fact that after September 11, uh, we didn't attack uh, swiftly and strongly. So, you know, uh, if the Bush administration, if anything, was soft on terrorism, uh, despite all of the rhetoric, despite all of the talking points, and now it, it's getting even softer. Oh, it's gone beyond soft. I mean... We're about to sit down and play... Or sing Kumbaya with like Iran and uh, the Koreans. <laughs> I think Iran wants to laugh at at the Kumbaya message. Uh, I heard something that the Iran, you know, they sent a video to Iran and Iran had just laughed it off or something. I don't know the whole story on that though. So I would like to bring that back as a later show topic. Uh, that the messages our current administration are sending to Iran are just getting laughed off as. Like, we're now really a joke. So unemployment now here is, what, around 8%? Yeah, 10% in California. That's not good, right? Um, I think they'd like it at 4%. Yeah. Uh, 3% boom time. There's always going to be some percentage because stay-at-home moms, people who choose not to work, disabled, will always be there. Sure. So you can't have 100% employment, um, uh, which is not bad, you know. So you somewhere between 3 and 4% unemployment rate is about average. Uh, the good side benefit to the unemployment rate being so high, uh, the Mexicans are driving back to Me are getting on buses back to Mexico because they can't find jobs, so they're going home. Uh, they say in South Carolina, what, there was at least uh, 100,000 uh, immigrants who have decided to go home. Um, I hope they stay there, which I thought was interesting in this uh, environment. That puts our country as a victim of its own success. Yeah. <laughs> huh. It's kind of interesting that when there's no jobs, they go home. Um, right. And when times are good, nobody really cares whether or not there are illegals coming and taking jobs. If times are really good, it doesn't matter. Everybody's happy. Yeah, and I've been thinking about this this whole thing, and, and kind of, I think I think the real solution is a, uh, a migrant worker visa with uh, subdued rights, which means you have, you know, we, we need to make sure that the migrant worker visa, which is uh, you get... At a minute, no minimum wage. Uh, so you work for whatever you can negotiate for. Uh, next, I think on it, if you commit a crime, mandatory, uh, we chop an arm off or a leg. Uh, 
uh, and then you get deported. You know, I, I've been hearing people quote, and I'm not sure who it's from. I'm, I'm guessing King, but maybe not. You know, they're like, oh, an eye for an eye leaves everybody blind. Yeah, but if everybody's blind, we can't commit any crimes. <laughs> well, we, we we still can, but... Yeah, well, pickpockets get better because they can't, you know, because they got to do it without seeing the person. Uh, Have you ever met a one-armed uh, pickpocket or one-eyed pickpocket? No, but a one-eyed pickpocket, you know, a one-eyed man is going to be a lot, lot, uh, a lot easier to pick out in a crowd. Um, you know, either he'll have his eye patch on or something. You know, it'll be a lot easier to pick out in a crowd. So, uh, you know, you can be aware of him. You know, a one-armed man is a lot, you know, a one-armed pickpocket, a lot harder, uh, a lot easier to pick to pick out in a crowd. Everybody's getting ticked off about the fact that what North Korea launched a missile. Yeah, well, North Korea theoretically has nuclear weapons. They're launching missiles towards Japan. Um, so if we're outlawing, uh, you know, missiles for everybody else, then only outlaws will have missiles. Uh, exactly. Uh, so this is actually something touchy because I mean, you hate to say it, but we've got a whole heck of a lot of troops in South Korea, and uh, you know we might have to do some border jumping there ourselves uh, to go handle the North Koreans. I think this should have been done uh, a long time ago, but we wanted to have uh, good relations with the Chinese, so the Chinese have held it off. Uh, and this is a real serious thing because if the North Koreans get us involved in a war. It's very possible we'll wind up fighting the Chinese for an extended period of time. Uh, and I don't think the Obama administration really can handle something like this. I don't think they have a spine or a backbone to handle a situation like that, where we have to start dropping nuclear weapons into North Korea just to to protect our troops, because they're dropping North, they're trying to nuke different bases in South Korea. There, there's a lot of things here that can go wrong very fast. Uh, where we get into a full nuclear exchange with a country, uh, you know, there are fighter wings that are stand on standby with nuclear weapons in South Korea to to help our troops gain a, an advantage. Um, any delay in using those weapons is going to result in some heavy, heavy casualties of South Koreans, uh, which are some of the prettiest girls you see around, um, and some heavy casualties amongst American troops. Uh, so, there's some serious things going on when North Korea is launching missiles at Japan. On so top of that, we have to defend Japan because of our treaties with World War II. Well, I take it this isn't the hope and change we were looking for. Nor the new world we were looking for either. Um, this, this moron... This is a, a, a reminder of the old adage that Washington had about not being involved in foreign entanglements. Right, and trying to minimize foreign entanglements. We make a contract with one country, and we have an agreement with another country, and it just so happens that the agreements kind of overlap, and they, don't, they conflict, and uh, they just don't work out. Well, we're screwed. <laughs> we entered into wrongful agreements that we couldn't keep. Or at least keep in a clear conscience or in a way that we can support uh, that won't get us in trouble. Yeah, and, and for the most part, I've got to say, economically, the agreements that we've had with South Korea and with Japan have worked out for us 
extremely well economically. Um, and also... I the, think they've worked out a little better for Japan. Yeah, but we've we've hosed their economy. They've been in a 20-year depression. <laughs> um, the last 20 years haven't been healthy for Japan, and their economy is in decline. Yeah, but uh, your window's a little too small there. I mean, if you look at the the time that we dropped the, what, Little Boy and... Uh, and Fat Man? Okay, we, we dropped our, our weapons on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and since then, we've built them into a, a pretty big world power. Well, economic, but they're 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 sliding back. Uh, they don't have a military that is equipped anywhere near what what it was when we still, still a hell of a lot better than the day we blew them up. Oh yeah, and they could retool fairly quickly. Although I don't think they could build anything near what they had. Um, it would take some large effort by them. But the problem is, is we're pretty much stuck defending them, uh, and they've got neighbors to the right and left of them that don't like them. Uh, and so we're pretty much stuck uh, defending them. So we, I mean, for the rights to own Japan, which is basically what we, we've we done uh, after World War II uh, in mixing our economies uh, in a larger sense, uh, not in a, I think you're looking at one level down from where I'm looking at as far as Imperial America is concerned. If you want to look at an immediate failure, though, you just got to turn to the Middle East. Yeah, well, I think I think our surge and our thing there in Iraq is, is working fine, and we're a complete failure in Israel. Um, we continue to doublespeak in Israel uh, while backing the Israeli military, uh, which we, which is the right thing to do. We are also handcuffing them. Whereas if we were attacked by Hamas directly, um, we would have squashed them like bug, the bugs they are. Well, you know that brings up the age-old question of whether or not we should be even a part of the UN. And I totally disagree. The UN has totally turned against us. We should leave the UN immediately. We should, we should disband it. We should kick it off our property. We should get rid of it. It's a waste of taxpayers' dollars in New York City. It's a waste of time in New York City. Those diplomats are not worth having in New York City. They talk about us like we're vile, we're the devil. They need to leave our country. Uh, honestly, I'm done with the UN. The UN is a body that's outlived its purpose. It's a Democrat body that has never served a real purpose. It should be gone. It's only serving to ruin our rights as American citizens by trying to kill us in international court. I'm sick of it. I'm done with it. I think we need to get rid of it. It's not never going to work. Let's go back to the old-fashioned peace treaties that barely work, but they do better than what than what we've got with the UN. The Security Council is a joke. No one listens to it, uh, even though we're on it. The only way the Security Council is ever going to work is if we start ki kicking butt and taking names. And we got to, in any ways, half the Security Council is as corrupt as can be. They're selling to each other, selling black market on the black market to each other, uh, and profiteering off of being on the Security Council, which I don't really mind in that respect because we do it also, but it's just a joke. And let's just stop the joke. Let's stop the giving these African nations any rights to speak, because they have no military, they have no power. Just let them fight it out amongst themselves in Africa, the dark continent, leave it dark, let them fight it out, whoever wins on top, we'll go in, we can go and make a treaty with them. That's, 
that's what I think about the UN. The problem of the UN on some levels is similar to the problem that the states had in terms of representation when our union was formed. And that is, we don't have a really good measurement of how how to represent people, let alone that we shouldn't have been in there anyhow, okay? But how things have turned out, well, you know, is it the is it your GDP? Is it your GNP? Is it the number of nukes that you got? Is it, you know, what what is the reason that a weighting should be applied to a given vote? But but that's all it. Until you until you make the you either have to make the body the UN have sovereignty over sovereign nations. Well, if they if they had sovereignty, then that means they shouldn't have our army. They should uh, have our armed forces acting as their 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 thugs or as their strong arm to use in any given random conflict throughout the world. They should self fund. Right, and technically every nation's supposed to pay into the funds. Nobody except for us pays the funds, and we're behind on it. Right, because they keep ruling against us. So it's a joke. It's a true joke. If they were to have sovereignty, they need to raise their own military and enforce the, the laws with their own military. Problem is, is once you give them the ability to raise their own military, it's going to be used against us, the creator, because we're the only ones with power. So it's a true joke. It's always been a joke. Let's get rid of it. Well, there are a lot of jokes that we've given a lot of credibility to and one of them that I've I've been meaning to get on a tear about and I probably have a little bit in the past but it just keeps rearing its ugly head and that is universal health care oh okay. man That's we've just already screwed our health care costs for, for tens and tens of years already by having social security and medicaid and medicare and basically raising the premiums for doctors to raise the premium for the patients and everything goes up and then you know there's this pie in the sky idea that the liberal left wants everybody taken care of in so doing lowering the total quality of health care you can't trust the government to run health care right okay and yet you know, we have this this mythical idea. Oh, we're gonna take care of everybody, everybody. Yeah. Um. Okay. But even so, okay, we we won't have this notion of universal health care. Okay. Our health care coverage, as it is, is, is bad. Okay. And uh, in the sense that if you pay, you're because we're, we're mincing words. Okay. And this is uh, there there is this reality distortion device. That, that is often used by government entity, entities, and they call things fees when they're really taxes. Now, insurance in most places, or at least as it's becoming even more and more expansive, is government-mandated compulsory fees. Okay, but let's not mince words. It's a tax. A tax that we're paying into, will, and we benefit very little. And, and if you were to go to an emergency room and you had some sort of expensive procedure done because it was an emergency life-saving thing, okay, your insurance is only going to pay part of it, not even the whole thing. So if you don't get 
any medical treatment, you're paying for it. And if you do, you get a half-assed job done because it doesn't cover you completely. Yep. Get the frigging government out of medical care. Get them out of making these deals and put the free market back in. Look, those who can pay for their health care should get their service or they should work out a payment plan in debt because we do have this nifty credit card system. Okay? Yep. And if it takes them the rest of their life, so be it. They're alive. They wanted their health care. If they don't want their health care or they can't afford it, screw them. Let them die. Let them die. And not, you know, uh, be a burden to the rest of us who can. Yep. I totally agree. And and not only that, we need to look at socialist health care that they're trying to bring on. You know, this is making this this idea makes me want to throw things across the room. Okay, I'm I'm about to throw something across the room because this pisses me off so much. Do it, do it, throw it. Look, uh, I don't even know what to throw because I want to damage something, but I don't want to damage my TV. Look, this is whole system. We just have to look at Canada. Healthcare in Canada, horrible. National healthcare. You're waiting in lines hours, 12 hours, 14 hours to get to see an emergency room doctor when you have an emergency. You know, Britain, national health care, they have to bring in Indian doctors. They have to bring in doctors from the third world who are not qualified to treat people because they can't get people to become doctors. But hold on a second now. Now, I don't want to say to knock them because some of these Indian doctors are pretty good and their total cost of their health care is cheaper, making it an incentive to no longer be here for our health care. Oh, no, I understand. Some of these Indian doctors are great. I actually have a few that I know a few that are, are great. I'm not saying that. I'm not blaming it on Indian doctors. I'm blaming it on the quality of standard of... You know, an Indian doctor in the United States has to meet the United States standard to be a doctor. Okay? Great Britain had national health care. Great Britain had to lower its standards for doctors to get underqualified doctors who are trained in other countries who do not have the standard of care that they're that we're used to and they bring in lower quality doctors who don't know what they're doing to treat people because the national health care system because they can't get normal people to be doctors because it's not a value to be it doctor traditionally has always made good money because he's had to have extra training he's had to go to school for eight years he's had to he's had to go and do something that is just extraordinary amount of work in school. Something, you know, that, you know, as an engineering majors, comp sci majors, you know, we know what hard work is. Doctors put in the equal amount of time. They're a science major. I don't, I don't have to, you know, I don't blame them. They put in their time in work in school, okay? And, you know, pay now, pay later system. You pay in school, you, you don't have to pay later because you're going to be making some good money, or you should be. Doctors should be rewarded for going to school. I understand that. I completely agree with the old, with the system, but in national healthcare system, that's not what happens. They get left behind. They get left in the dust because the national system never makes up for the fact that they need to have they need to make more money because they need to be. You know, why put in eight years if you're not going to get any return out of it? Okay, doctors, it's going to be like nurses. There's going to be a shortage of them if we have national healthcare. Well, well let me be very clear on this one specific point. And that is, in any given situation where there's government involvement, where they want to have more activity 
in terms of either expansion or regulation, what ends up happening is a direct assault on capitalism. And we see this in what people do. And I'm going to take it to a local example, and then I'm going to scale it up, okay? The local example is, um, a, let's say a toll, okay? Like a toll yep. booth on a road. What happens when the tolls go up? The revenues of tax go down. Why? Because it is human nature to avoid a painful stimulus. Yep. See, we look at the possibility of a toll road going up. What do we do immediately? Well, we try to find another route. Why? Because we don't want to be screwed. We want to avoid being screwed, and we want to hold on to our wealth. Yep. Now, when you when you take away our wealth, it becomes an incentive to find something else, to go somewhere else, to do something else, depending on what it is. If it's an activity that the government wants to tax, or if it is um, a transaction that the government wants to tax. Either way, it drives people away. Now, if I were uh, a doctor and and I see this healthcare, uh, universal healthcare coming, hell, I'd be looking for another kind of job. Why? Because they're coming for me. They're coming for me next. And what we're seeing now is a, a direct attack on wealth. And in the news lately, there's, it, it, there's notions of class warfare going on. Oh, everybody's big time. Po- everybody's po- pointing, oh, look at these CEOs. Okay, now granted, if a CEO was making $2 million and then they take a, a pay cut along with everybody else, their $2 million in a pay cut isn't going to hurt them nearly as bad. And that logic has divided people, you know, and basically motivated lower-paid pe- lower people to say, hey, socialism doesn't look so bad because... I can benefit from it. And you get these higher paid people, and they're like, well, it doesn't harm me, yeah, no big deal. Haha, <laughs> look at those suckers below us in the middle. And these people yeah. in the middle who are like, oh, you know, well, they're rich, so they kind of deserve it too. But the, the, that isn't how most people think. Most people think, you know, in general, uh, oh, well, if they're doing well, it's not like I want to hate them. I don't want to be jealous or envious or follow any one of the seven deadly sins that may involve that. I don't know. Um, (laughs) But they would actually want to emulate that model of success. And that's what, you know, is a a common thing in the free market and driving capitalism and everything else. But back to being a a doctor and the the health care and treatment thereof, well, because wealth is now a target, and the average person sees doctors and have always seen doctors as, quote, wealthy. Yep. Okay. It's a direct incentive. Hey, well, everybody's going to hate me, and I'm not going to make any as much money. Screw this. I'm leaving. And then self-fulfilling prophecy of the quality of health care going down. Right. It definitely is, and it's going to be a self-fulfilling prophecy because everybody who has nationalized health care, except for one country that I've seen, 
where they actually did implement it right. Um, but then it gets back to the fact that you get health care because you're, you have a job. Or you can go to this other hospital where you have no, if you have no job, you go to one hospital. If you have a job, you get to go to this other capitalist hospital. Yeah. Uh, two standards of health care. Um, and that's really what happens is you get two standards of health care, one for the rich who can afford anything and one for the rest of us who can't afford it, you know, who have to go with the nationalized health care because you can't afford anything else. You well, can't you know, hypothetically, I mean, why don't we just, you know, the average person looks at, at, you know, at what the government does and sees that constantly the government is rewarding failures. Right. Okay, these big companies corporate welfare recipients, they're too big to fail, let's throw some money at them. You get your poor people who may be receiving welfare, okay, they're also out there, and you look at them and you're like, okay, there's the people above me, there's the people below me, Right. and what's for me? And I think what we need to start thinking about is how because wealth can't be the deciding factor, that maybe we should be pushing the meritocracy angle, okay? Uh, people who are law-abiding citizens should have better health care than those who are not. People who have better uh, money management skills, that is, they, their credit, cor credit scores are good. They're putting in the effort. They pay their bills on time. They try to live up to um, a reasonable standard of, of, um, of merit, at least in managing their lives. Yep. They should receive preferential health care. Perhaps they should uh, receive um, auto discounts. Okay, people who are deserving, and we need to create standards of what makes people deserving that are based on merit and nothing else. It'd be nice if it was based on merit. Um, be easier. Uh, do this and get and get this, you know, get rewarded by having this, uh, you know, have a job, you know, have this kind of health care, have this level of health care. Don't have a job, well, go see the general, go see the free clinic. Um, it'd be nice if we could get to that world, uh, but we can't, you know, no, that's not the way it's going to be. The poorest among us are going to have easier time getting things because it's going to be given to them. The people who work are going to pay, or you know, it's going to be put on the backs of the people who work. Uh, this is also this whole thing with, with, you know, ha ha ha, with the uh, these uh, CEOs. The thing that really scares me the most is when companies can't give back the government money they borrowed, because the government won't let them give it back because the government doesn't want to give up control over that company. Right. And that scares me the most that the company did the financial responsible thing. You know, hey. Look, we may need, we needed to borrow some money for a couple of months because, you know, the economy was that bad. The government lended lended me some money. It was an open vending gate. You know, I put the money to work. 
appropriately, responsibly, and not only that, I was a in two months I'm able to give it back to you. I think that's a totally appropriate use of a lending system. Hmm. You know, that I understand, hey, you can support the company for two months and I can leave ten thousand people employed and you know, these people also underwrite pretty much every public company in the in the in the market or 40% or a huge amount of every public, you know, have to underwrite those kind of bills for, I don't know, let's say 40% of the economy. Yeah. You know, so, you know, and I'll be honest, we're talking about Goldman Sachs. Okay. These guys underwrite a lot of companies and lend money, lend out money for a lot of companies, uh, and do it responsibly. They borrowed what? In dollars and can now pay it back easily. And they're not allowed to pay it back. It's disgusting. It really is. Here's somebody trying to give the government back $20 billion. $20 billion that could be used somewhere else. Let's be honest. For all these socialist programs, and you don't want another $20 billion, oh, no, don't give it back to us because we want, you, we want something even more vile. We want control over you so that you can't, you can't be an effective company anymore. You can't do what you used to do effectively anymore because we we're not going to allow you to pay people the right amount of money to do what to be that good at your job, which was what you did being the best bank on on Wall Street. I'm kind of disgusted by that. Now, this is the way everything is going to get run. You know, no longer can you be the best bank on Wall Street because we don't think that we're jealous of how good you really are. So that, does that mean the best doctor in Brookline or wherever can't be the best doctor in Brookline anymore because the socialist program doesn't allow him to be? Because he can't charge slightly more for his services? Because he's ten times better than the guy down the street in Newton? That kind of scares me. Good. You know, that's the real economy. That's real. the real thinking we need to think of. Why can't the guy who's slightly better charge slightly more? Because he gets better results, and you spend less time. You spend less money overall because the guy who charges slightly more does it right the first time, and you don't have other problems. For many years, companies from the U.S. were not welcome in China. Yeah, they weren't welcome because they uh, they were basically a majority of government-run industries. They still are. Still are. But okay. they need strategic. They need strategic information, so they have to welcome in the external country to Maybe get. Maybe so, but they're they're not going to make any real impact on their economy there. Actually, there's been a couple of places where they made a um, an obscene impact. Yeah. And that is in the sneaker world. Yeah. Um, because they want the fa the global fashions that we have. Yeah. So the cell phone world is the same thing. The fashion accessories, they can't control because they don't have the creativity looseness that we have. So in the creative industries, yeah. they we can actually control that because the next idea comes from someone who is not a... Uh, you know, you can't break in an industrialized factory, you know, system. You can't have that free thinking control. It just doesn't work and have government control over everything. It just doesn't work. It's, again, the same thing we've been talking about on every other thing. Total government control of all industries 
um, uh, limits creativity. Right. So the only advantage we have here is our creativity and our ability to think outside of the box. Yeah, let's say you were Honda right now, or let's say you were Toyota, right. and you see the U.S. government making moves to nationalize the auto industry here in the U.S. You're nationalized in Japan. Don't worry about it. Well, wouldn't it be an incentive to pick up your ball and go home because you're going to basically be on an unfair playing field? Uh, yes and no. You, you make a hard, you're nationalized already, so they're, they're only putting those companies on the same playing field. Second of all, Toyota's plants in the United States produce more cars than GM does in the United States. Toyota is an American car manufacturer by all results. The Japanese have taken this into account, and they just basically do it better than the American companies do. It's rather funny. It's it's a rather sick joke. Um, I was actually listening to an interview today by the new CEO of, of GM. And yeah. aside to the fact that he sounds like a bumbling fool because he starts every sentence with, uh, 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 he... He made one point that really annoyed me, and that is, um, ha, there we go. I can do it too. Uh, um, <laughs> yeah. That you shouldn't, or or at least um, wouldn't recommend or or suggest to people to buy American cars. And what bothers me about it is. You know, there are so many people out there who just won't buy American cars. And the fact that, I mean, it, it, I mean, I wouldn't go as far as saying as it sounds like treason or people have, you know, treasonous thinking because, oh, I'm not going to buy an American car despite the fact that I live here, okay? And that, that attitude is one of the probably one of the bigger reasons why we import more than we export if we can't eat our own dog food if we can't buy from our own local companies where are we going to end up well i i actually don't subscribe to that philosophy in one respect i i kind of look at ancient rome and i want to model our economy based on that which is we dominate everybody else and make them ship us our their goods and wares for our benefit. Are we building aqueducts soon? Is that like a public workfare program? Actually, we do have a huge aqueduct that comes from the Western Mass to supply Eastern Mass. They are building a huge one in New York. Um, if you really want to talk about that, yeah, we have built them. We build them underground, unlike the Romans, but we do build them, and we build them significant. We build them significantly larger. Um, but that's not going to have a big impact on our economy. Actually, it has a huge impact on our economy because it allows us to live centralized. Um, but that being said... Um, but we don't. We don't live centralized. We're all over the place. we got rural people. we got city people. we got suburb people. Not centralized. Right, but, suburb, but I mean, we're centralized in the fact that the Northeast Corridor holds the bulk of the American population 
in reality, um, wherein most of the American population is centralized around 50 miles of any major city. Outside of that, you have a one person for every 400 acres or something like, like 100 acres or something like that. Um, and so it's rather a centralized economy when you think about it. It's sprawling for a larger, larger than centralization used to be, but we can support more people because of our farming techniques. Um, in reality, well, we from the world is, 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 is I'm an imperialist. That other pe we need to dominate other people by imperial means, and then use their wares to support our better lifestyle. Just a bit of a point, though. We are no longer a farming nation. We are no longer an agricultural nation. I, I are, beg to we differ. Are barely, we are barely a manufacturing nation. I beg to differ on the farming nation. I, I really do. I, as far as every statistic I've heard, we, ma we manufacture more food. We manufacture about triple the amount of food we need, and we export it heavily. It, our economic policy towards food can cause famines in other countries. Okay, if we were to stop exporting free food to Africa, which we do on a heavy basis, there half the nations would go into famine immediately. Well, can't we trade them for blood diamonds? Uh, yeah, we could if we wanted to. Um, we just want to help stop the spread of AIDS, so we we trade them food for. We trade them food for AIDS education. <laughs> it's rather sick. And it, it, there are it, people out there who believe that throwing more education out there is going to solve all of the problems. They solve crime. They solve AIDS. Actually, I, I, in, in a lot of ways, an educated person is less likely to commit a crime. <laughs> And I do believe in more in in educating people, educating people properly, not the socialist way they want to edu Obama wants to educate people, but I think we need to to relook at education in this country and make it for profit. Once education anything comes for profit, it gets better. When companies educate their employees all the time. It's much more effective than the school systems, the public schools we have. Let's uh let's uh revisit that issue there because uh I don't know about you but I don't think there are a lot of companies that are educating employees all the time. No, they're just picking them up with all the skills ready to go because it's cheaper. Oh, I understand, but there are some companies who do actually pay employees to do professional development. Do you ever go to a professional development day and learn something? Well, that's a that's a usually an oxymoron, but um, no, but it, it usually is a nice day off. Yeah, but ha having one day out of a year or two days out of a year doesn't really count as a, a broad spectrum education, thanks to your employer. No, but in the nursing field and in the in the education field, the employers actually do have to send them to. They have to get professional development days where they actually have to go and learn something relevant to their their work to keep up with modern practices and modern standards, uh, or at least in Massachusetts. Um, so, and they have to re-accredit themselves every so often. Uh, now, this is a big joke, but the ones that actually take it seriously do actually have to learn something. So, in a way, mandatory 
uh, I don't want to even use the word mandatory because it's not right. Um, it's the only way to improve teaching. Uh, but I think we need to privatize a lot of these things because and reward the best and the brightest and not not reward the uh, the best union worker. But see, here's another um, you know the, the the concept of best and brightest. Okay, we've both known uh, some very very bright people in our day. Yep. And it it seems to me that really you don't want the best and brightest for most things because they um, they're lazy. Well, yeah, I mean that that that's one thing, but that's not the whole picture. Right. Not only are they lazy, but they're not nearly as motivated to work harder uh, as your people who are above average. Right, and most of the time the best are also antisocial. <laughs> right. And they would also tend to become frustrated with yep. those around them because... Nobody understands them. That's true. Uh, but you do need to get... You're right, that above-average crowd needs to be doing... being more responsible, needs to be doing more, and you have to have a system that rewards that. Well, you know, there was a quote back in the... Uh, I believe it was the, the uh, atomic bomb days of Dirac on quantum physics. No, I think that was in the 20s, prior to the atomic bomb days. Uh, prior... It was a time when second-rate men did first-rate work. Right. Yeah. Yeah, talking about the uh, was it quantum, the development of quantum physics in the 20s. Yep. Yeah. Your best and brightest aren't nearly as motivated as your second best. Well, it, but in reality, the best and the brightest in the 20s and in the 30s we're producing some of the core core things. I mean, Einstein was in the 20s that he developed E equals MC square, uh, or the 30s. You know, it, it was a time that the brightest were developing core things to to the universe to to be able to do some of the other work that was done. Einstein's work in that time was huge. Well, there were a lot of things about those times, you know. The uh, Brownian motion was huge. Einstein's papers on Brownian motion, which is what won him the Nobel Prize, um, was huge, and is still used in chemistry to today. You know, so I mean, there was outstanding work being done on top of this other work that was just crazy. Well, but there was also in society a couple different things. For starters, there was prohibition. Okay, and if you can't say that that's a motivator. <laughs> well, prohibition, I have to say, related to probably the most creativity in, in American <laughs> society that I've ever seen. Because bootlegging in, in prohibition yeah. was everywhere. Smuggling. I mean, these guys design, redesigned cars with heavier suspensions, went into their cars, redesigned them so that they could smuggle booze across the border from Canada. Have re, you know, took the engines, remodeled them. I mean, basically, what did we get NASCAR out of that? You know, I mean, these hacks, I mean, people did things that were just extraordinary 
because, you know, they needed to, they were doing something illegal. <laughs> it's rather funny. And these people are praised for it, you know, because prohibition was just a stupid law. But there and was I, something else about that time period, too, and that is education was viewed as a physical task. Yes. And an important part of life. And people people seem to pay more attention to secular morals then. Mainly out of fear. I don't know about that. Well, <laughs> Everything I've read doesn't seem to point that way. Wasn't out of fear of getting eaten or hit or well, I think in general the bulk of the people did, but the elite, like in any other time, could care less about morals. Right. You know, the end of the 20s was the 20s, the booming 20s, and then the end well, of the 20s. They did have to be a little preachy to keep the gravy train rolling. Right. And it, it's just amazing when you go back and see the corruption underneath the skin of something that was was going on. And, and what was funny is you had a counterculture in the 40s and 50s and early 60s that went totally against what the 20s stood for. This illegal, bootlegging, rum-running, party-it-up society by the 1940s was gone, and you had an American society that wanted to go back to religion yeah. and be stiff and be puritanical. And... You know, I'm kind of hoping that, that that society comes back soon because we need it around here again. Because it feels like the 1920s, you know, the booming 20s, you know, where all these liberal ideas are floating around. You know, they got rid of them and went back to being conservative again. Well, for a lot of, you know, I, a lot of ideas over time, there's, you know, a, a pendulum. It's like swinging back and forth. Of course, yeah. And one of the things, uh, you know, I guess since September 11, we we entered in a, a period where um, security has the pendulum has swung towards security, yeah. and previously it was leaning towards liberty. And I'm hoping it swings back to liberty soon, because I think people are starting to get fed up with the idea that everything is about security. Right. I, yeah, I mean, I think the security thing is going to be with us for a while, but we're getting a lot of other junk that we don't need along with it. Yeah, we swung away from uh, capitalism when we were heading towards socialism. I mean, yeah, we got socialism instead of security. And true security, it, you know, you just look at the statistics. Is behind the barrel of a gun. Yeah, that's about exactly where it is. And uh, that's about all it is. You know, you're right. And that's why the Founding Fathers gave us a uh, an amendment to our Constitution that said, get yourself a gun. Because yeah, that's the only place you're going to be truly secure. Yep. All right. Is there well, any other topics you want to hit? Or you wanna... Well, yeah, there's one I'd like to hit. Sure. Especially... Um, just back on the weird uh, kind of news stories. Cult mom pleads guilty in son starvation death. Another story you sent me uh, in the news. Yeah, you know, I thought that was kind of interesting for a few reasons. Um, 
So basically, a quick summary of the situation, of the story, was this woman was starving her son to death. She was in a cult. Right. And to get her plea bargain, she basically says, you know, if my son is resurrected, I want to be absolved of all charges, you know. Wipe your hands of all charges, if resurrected. Otherwise, it's you know sentencing. Right. That, that sets a, sets an interesting precedent because basically we are now going to codify, or otherwise, enact into contracts things that are just irrational. Right. Constantly irrational at the hands of a would-be murderer. Yeah. Um, well, uh, hey, look, kid came back to life, you know, hey, drop the charges, I can see that. No no harm, no foul. Uh, I, I really think that the, the thing that really stood out to me was she starved the kid to death because he stopped saying amen and had a rebellious spirit at mealtimes. The two-year-old kid, right? Sixteen-month-old, a uh, little more than a year old. Well, you know, this brings back an age-old question. And uh, despite all of the, the people who believe that we've become a civilized society, okay, until we specifically define somewhere in and have a special set of rules that basically says children aren't property. All of this is crap. Yeah. Well, I, and the other thing that kind of disturbed me at first, but then was her light sentence that she got for the plea deal, which is a suspension. She got a 20-year 20, 20 suspended sentence as long as she went through deprogramming in five years of probation. But then, I, you know, I read the story on, and it was also because she got testimony for rolling over on some of her other cult members for four other murders, so the sentence made a little more sense to me, but it was kind of weird that she got no jail time for killing her kid. But, but she said God was her lawyer. <laughs> All right, well, you know, I remember reading in my Bible, Jesus didn't have a lawyer, and I didn't think it worked out too well for him. Uh, yeah, but he, he, he got resurrected, so we've been told. Yeah, so, well, it worked out for him in the end of the day, because... Uh, you know, he he won out over everybody, but... Well, you know, I think we're just taking the concept of resurrection a little too lightly. I mean, yeah, we're passing these laws to, to now allow stem cells and cloning, but, you know, from going from cloning to resurrection is a really big leap in both technology as well as cultural acceptance. Hmm, that's actually an interesting point, because, you know, you know, we're watching the uh, new version of Battlestar Galactica, you know, and they had resurrection technology where you could, uh, you know, with the cloning ability, you could just pop yourself into a new body, be downloaded into a new body. Never have to die. And, you know, there is usually a lag time between science fiction and science reality. Well, i got to uh, feel that that's a bigger lag time than we kind of think to be able to download our brains. I don't think so. I think life is cheap and in abundance. 
and the ability to mutate it and transform it to our own ends is something that, whether we like it or not, some people will pursue. Yeah. Well, it's, it's got a near, you know, I think the the problem is, is how do we take our nearly infinite storage system and actually apply it to a data storage facility? I think that's the one area we have to overcome. There are people on the problem. Yes, there are. And they need to be working faster because I'm close. I need a resurrected body. Uh, but it would be interesting to have that. But they did also suggest that the reason resurrection technology would ever take foothold was due to the fact that they lost their ability to uh, to mate and lost their ability to um, have offspring. which I thought was an interesting uh, parallel. But, alright. I think we can uh, call it a show for tonight, unless there's any other topics you think we should discuss. I think we, we've hit a 20. Yeah. I think we have. So we're going to call it a show, our 21st show. Woohoo! Have a good night. Um, do want to remind people that we do have a forum. Uh, I know notice some people have been joining. Uh, please feel free to write any comments. I will try to post uh, something next uh, when the show is actually posted about uh, comments about the show. It's uh, a place where you guys can leave your comments. Um, and then also we're working on getting a call in line, which we haven't uh, established yet, but uh, we'll be working on that and. Uh, Hopefully uh, we can hear from you on the uh, forum, so please feel free to write write down whatever you want. do want to uh, address one issue on the forum, though, just before we leave. Um, if you want to post advertising on the forum, uh, I'm against it, except, for the, except when you actually pay me to post the advertising on the forum. Please so, can be bribed. I will be bribed to allow you to post advertising on the forum, but until I actually get paid for that advertising, I will remove it from the forum. Um, so that way, and uh, we can be bribed, or you know, if the general user population wants to say no advertising on the farm, well, you guys can bribe me into doing that too uh, by generating income for just liking our show. Um, anybody who wants to donate, just send it to uh, podcast at lordclark.com through via PayPal, um, and that should get to us. So uh, thank you for listening, and have a good night.